Hi, everybody. This is producer Peter. Um, you are jumping into an episode that is about the events of 9-11 and also talking pretty candidly about sexual assault. Just fair warning, we are going to talk about those subjects. Oh, God. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> So I was like really into TIE Fighter and I spent mm. like 90 minutes trying to get the sound set up right because it was supposed to be full stereo so you could hear something go Whoosh! I just used my hands for people who are listening Yeah, to explain it was implied. right to left motion. Mm-hmm. What if it went left to right? Oh, okay. That's how sound waves work. Yeah. We're a science podcast from now on. I don't want to talk about these movies. Oh, Nobody man. wants to talk about these movies. Uh, why do you guys let me come to you with terrible, terrible puns, and then we turn them into, like, ideas? I mean, we knew that there were going to be bad weeks. I mean, I don't think we anticipated them falling on the same week. Well, I mean, what would you have put the 9-11 movie up against that we would be like, what a good match. I mean, just something dog shit that we could rag on, you know, what for the sake of our comedy podcast. Yeah. Uh, I think it's fine to just get it done with once. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, agreed. So, welcome to a very special episode of Cage Match, colon, a roundabout way of meeting Nicolas Cage. Nick Cage, please don't listen to this episode. Jet fuel can't melt steel beams. (laughs) Starting strong. Um, Birds aren't real. This they just this podcast drones. This podcast is hosted by so long as I Nick keep and myself, over you, Sean. Peter has to keep the audio because it's got both of us. That's true. Yeah. Oh my god, is that all it takes? That's all it takes. Because right. I'm just too lazy. So I'm gonna whisper conspiracies throughout this entire thing. Okay, that's all I've got. I'm, I'm Who st- did 9/11? Ooh, let's okay. We're gonna we're gonna redo this whole intro thing. Uh, hi, Nick, my co-host for this podcast. How are you today? Don't use my government name. <laughs> uh, and I I was hoping you'd throw it back to me. I'm Sean, the other co-host of the show, and we're transmitting from a secret bunker. Uh, and then our producer Peter. Hi, Peter. Hello. This week we're talking about World Trade Center, and it goes up against the frozen ground. A movie about sex trafficking, rape, and murder. (laughs) Which one of these romps do we want to discuss first, Nick? Well, we've already started talking about Frozen Ground. Yeah, that's what I figured. All right, The Frozen Ground. Uh, Nick, you want to give us a little uh, wrap-up of this one? Yeah, this is the uh, true story, inspired by the true story story of a cop who finds the Alaska Butcher Baker serial killer. End scene. No, there's a girl. She. God, you kept looking at me. I had to continue. <laughs> so this sex worker. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna have to say it again. Do, do you need me to handle this one? Take the reins on this. No. <laughs> this sex worker escapes from somebody, goes to the cops, says that she was raped, and the guy was gonna try to kill her. And the cops are like, I don't. You're. Uh, ho and we don't believe you then one cop is like I don't know so he escalates it and like secretly sends the stuff to the Alaska State Patrol 
and Nicolas Cage, the Alaska State Patrolman, is like, look at this, this is wild, let's look into it, and then they do, and then turns out, like, he finds the murderer, this guy who's killed, like, 17 people. Yeah, that's pretty much about it. Yeah. So, yes, in this film... He rapes a bunch, too. Not Nicolas Cage. <laughs> the the murderer. No one rapes Nicolas Cage. Peter, I'm just going to say it. Boy, we, we can't rec- we can't use that. <laughs> Probably not. I don't know. We'll see how I'm feeling when I edit. <laughs> you get kind of... I mean, depending on how many sparkle buddies, you get kind of saucy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right. So this film stars Nicolas Cage as Sergeant Jack Halcombe. John Cusack plays serial killer. We'll just use that as the safe parlance. Uh, Robert Hansen, who I'm pretty sure they didn't change the name of in this one. No, that is his name. Yes. And uh, Vanessa Hudgens plays Cindy Paulson, the young woman who managed to escape her captor and alert the authorities to Robert Hansen and eventually led to his capture and confession. The proverbial one who got away. And that's that's probably the best joke you're going to get this whole episode. (laughs) So Nick Cage plays a cop again. Uh, Where do we rate him on the uh, good cop, bad cop scale? Uh, I think he's a good cop on this one. I mean, he was a better cop than some of the other cops, for sure. Yeah. This movie starts off with some really shitty cops. In fact, the detective who is interrogating Cindy Paulson straight up says, how can you rape a hooker? You know, she's give, she's describing where she was, the guy. They pretty much have an eyewitness to this individual to John Cusack's Robert Hansen. She can even describe the murder basement. And when the detective comes out of the interrogation room, he's just like, yep, nope, not going to do anything about it. And the detective or the cop who brought her in was just like, aren't we even going to interview the guy? And his res- the detective's response is, he doesn't have a record in the computer where within 15 minutes, we find out that this guy has a record that goes back 20 odd years it just hasn't been digitized and that's as much detective work as that detective wanted to do yeah well i mean he talked to the guy's wife also she said he was good oh yeah and he did have people corroborating his alibi uh alibi he had somebody that oh yeah the initial one that he was there the whole time so real robert hansen started getting like a rap sheet back in uh 63 when he held a housewife at gunpoint and tried to rape her and then also raped uh i think it was a a sex worker at the time but he got a lot of that thrown out like the rape of the sex worker by agreeing to like a plea bargain or whatever uh in the use of a deadly weapon yay the american justice system yeah and he only served six months, by the way. Gross. Yeah. Uh, some of his other early crimes are pretty interesting as well. Ha ha, interesting or more disturbing? Interesting. Yeah, just disturbing, interesting. I mean, he's not like a very ha ha guy, it seems like. Yeah, this is now a true, I was, true crime podcast. Yeah, I was, gonna, I was. I mean, I was hoping for like theft of Mylar Turtle Balloon or something. No, only a whack job would do something like that <laughs> we're not going to talk about that one the statute of limitation of turtle theft, turtle balloon theft has not reached its limit yet so sergeant jack Hel- helcom is introduced to this case it's brought to his desk 
two weeks before his lovely wife and children and him are supposed to pick up stakes and move out of Alaska. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's kind of a ticking clock, a two weeks till retirement type feel, but clearly Jack isn't thrilled at the idea. He hasn't signed the paperwork or paid the movers yet. Yeah, but they packed up like the food in the kitchen, weirdly enough. It's like, you don't understand moving if you put all your food away while you're still there. Like, you can have food that you're just going to abandon if you're moving states. Fuck it. These Cheerios, they belong to the rats now. Yeah, no one's bringing that peanut butter. Yeah, not after I'm done with it. So, I mean, like all like all good movie and TV cops, you know, things aren't great at home because the job's just too, too gritty and real. I do want to talk about, though, so, you know, Jack's the one who's realized that women have been going missing for a while. They're showing up out in the wilderness. How long... Nick, have like they've been finding bodies and they still claim it's none of them are associated with each other. They were like three within a year. That's when like the press were just like, this seems like a pattern. But we do find out that there is a history of specifically young women, 17 to 23 ish. Uh, and they're usually told Cindy and Jack finds out through the sister of another woman that they were told that they were going to go get photos taken for a modeling, maybe a modeling gig. Photos taken or like some high payout thing. So like yeah. Cindy was a, a pro, so it was 200 bucks for a blowjob. That's it's like, right. yeah, okay, I'll definitely get in there and take a shot in the so mouth for 200 Another young woman is told she's going to uh, have professional photos taken of her, which... Cusack shows up in what I'm going to refer to as Cusack's creepy camper. Yeah. Yeah, this is like anytime Paul Dano's in a movie, it's like, mm, <laughs> you should be nervous. Yeah. Like, he shows up in a camper that I don't think we ever see again. No, it was a single-use camper. Girl gets in, and it's off to the races. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was a pretty prolific uh serial killer well let's let's talk about let's go back to being a true crime podcast for a second and let's play some serial killer bingo oh okay because dear god did this guy hit every mark murder basement yeah like just trophy hunter heads everywhere uh the most impressive to me though was the walrus skull yeah that was pretty neat actually yeah i thought it was cool i wish i had one in his rumpus room because he has a good christian wife and a couple kids he's just got a spot to like hang a chain what for yeah chaining up women a hole made for a yeah. three-eighths lag bolt yeah how do you explain that one to your partner i don't think his wife's allowed downstairs hmm. it's a proper 70s man cave yeah 80s okay. man cave you're sorry. right it's 80s everything about this guy screams uh he harms women for fun i mean just the number of times he's been actually charged with rape yeah but he definitely has a target audience speaking of targets and they're a captive audience too (laughs) there we go we got there oh god i'm i feel dirty Mm. uh speaking of i'm gonna make this as hard for you guys as i possibly can that's why you're here Uh Uh, speaking of targets though the way he disposes of his prey oh god this film i mean you can just say victims victims I was trying to go into the whole... Yeah, that's much better. (laughs) I was trying to play up the whole hunter aspect of this because he actually flies the women out in his private prop plane to the middle of nowhere 
lets them go, and as they're running away, shoots them in the back with a hunting rifle. I think it's exciting, sorry, just to step back a second, that he's allowed to fly that plane because he was denied a pilot's license for being fucking wacky. Even when they try and stop him later, when they, like, tell the tower, don't let that plane take off, he just goes anyway. Yeah. Are there plane cops? There have to be. The FAA? Do I'm get, assuming that's Do they get job. guns? I'm well, assuming. Like, probably not anti-aircraft, but... <laughs> well, how are you... Like, what's the deterrent, then? Take your plane away. Take his license, the one he doesn't have? No, just the airplane. That makes it real hard to fly. Can they take the plane away? They're the fucking government. They'll come in and take anything they want. Like, literally, if you get pulled over, they can take the money from your wallet and never give it to you again. Fuck cops. Yeah. Fuck them. Yeah, no, Fuck I mean... the government, this, too. This movie does not... I mean, outside of, like, the depiction of the cops who brought this guy in, most other cops in this film are fairly inept. And, like, the DA definitely just doesn't want to pursue this. Ooh, but we have, like, the copiest cop actor, Dean Norris, the guy yes. from Breaking Bad. <laughs> yeah. I only watched, like, most of a season of that, so I don't remember. But yeah, no, You've uh, seen him as a cop in, like, other shit, he for only sure. Plays in every he other role. only is a cop. Kind of like Wendell Pierce, who can, I can only imagine as being a cop ever. Oh, God. Uh, shit. Oh, God. Who played uh, Ben Graham in the Fantastic Four movie? Oh, Michael Chiklis. Yeah, Michael Chiklis. Uh, yeah. Uh, this guy looks like a you know low-rent Michael Chiklis. Oh, okay. Who looks like a low-rent Dominic Toretto? Yeah, kind of. Let's just keep talking about who looks like who. Yeah. <laughs> oh, speaking of people that look like things, this is really the uh, era of Nick Cage looking like a ham sandwich. <laughs> yeah. He's got this whole, like, pouty lip action. He does. Yeah, it was really weird. I couldn't stop weird thinking about that. Not quite as bad as uh, early 2000s, like, falcon hair, where his hair just looks like a bird taking flight from his head. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. So, of course, Nick Cage, and, you know, he has a tragic backstory that he uses to connect with Cindy. On his 21st birthday, his sister got killed by a drunk driver, and I don't believe the driver was ever brought to justice, so that's what made him want to be a cop. That's that's the extent of that plot point. Probably my favorite part about this movie, because I've been like fascinated by these things since I was 10, there's a moose in this movie. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about pimps. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's next. I, I will say that I've been fascinated by pimps for a while. All right. I was going to have some fun talking about a moose, but yeah, let's talk about pimps. <laughs> so, 50 cents in this movie. Yeah. He plays the pimp. Which... And he's got the sweetest wig ever. Oh, man, it's so good. He produced this, too. He that must tracks. feel very passionately about it. Oh, good for him. Well, there goes all my material. Thanks, Peter. Yeah, you're welcome. I mean, my sole material was like, hey, isn't it weird that 50 cents in this movie? It is weird. So you want to talk about pimps? Go. Well, he was kind of a pimp with a heart of gold in the end. He saw an opportunity and tried to rob the guy that was going to kill the sex worker (laughs) yeah okay so maybe not a heart of gold (laughs) so yeah 50 cent uh so hansen gets one of his buddies to go and rough up this pimp to track down cindy paulson 50 cent says they're gonna get out of town grabs the girl drives her out the middle of nowhere to do the trade-off 
And when the guy's got a gun on Cindy, 50 Cent pulls a gun on the other guy. And we've got a real Mexican standoff. Yes. Except Cindy doesn't have a gun. Instead, she just drives away. Yes, for Which every reason, it is not actually a Mexican standoff. Correct thing to do in that instance. Yeah. Why would you trust either of them? Yeah. And instead of just, you know, shooting the guy, because at this point, you're not, not going to shoot the guy 50 Cent. Yeah. He waits for the guy to turn around and shoot him. Yeah, with his spare gun. Yeah. You're in Alaska. You're in North Texas. Everyone's got guns. Also, you're on, like, what appeared to be a huge frozen over lake. Yeah. Like, just shoot him. Speaking of everyone having guns, like, more guns than they know what to do with, Hansen, like, packs up all of the evidence, takes it out in the middle of the forest, and gets rid of it. Except for all the evidence he didn't pack up, which was in a crawl, which was in his attic under the floorboards. Yeah, I think it's... Why wouldn't you just put the extra stuff there, too, if you don't expect that to be found? Well, he doesn't want to keep, like, okay, I'm not going to try to pretend like I know what goes on in his mind, but it seems logical that you wouldn't keep all of your trophies somewhere so high traffic, like, inside of your house like that. Except for the ones he did. But you kept the murder weapons there. Were those the murder weapons? I mean, they talk about them using two twenty three ammo, but it's not just a hunting rifle and a knife. That's what he killed with, and they showed... Like a Thompson and something else. But he still had the bag of, like, jewelry and stuff he kept because he liked to keep those as trophies. He kept those in, like, the garage. Yes. Where he was when the cops showed up. So he wasn't able to, like, go back and get anything else. It's like, grab these personal effects of the victims. But the cops didn't just show up. They were just staking out his house. They hadn't had the warrant yet. I mean, which he wouldn't know, but no one's coming to his house. I think he knew because he was looking out the window and he saw... Yeah, I mean that. It's just, if you're going to take the time to grab the stuff that you just keep out in the open, why not get the actual stuff out of the house instead of the stuff that is adjacent? Could have taken more time. mm, He did get rid of the bracelet, though, the matching bracelet to one of the murder. One of the murder victims' sister had a matching bracelet, which is ultimately what Halcom uses to kind of corner him in interrogation, which is he says they found this bracelet even though it wasn't the original. I mean, yeah. and ultimately what gets Hanson at the end is when he's, you know, feels cornered, Cindy pretty much opens the door to the interrogation room and he sees her and just loses his shit and yells in front of a room of detectives, I should have killed you when I had the chance. Yeah, really kind of lost his cool there. But hey, there was a moose in this movie and that made me happy. Yeah. Yeah, talk about that moose a little more. I have just... to. I kind of like just the illusion of moose. Yeah, you're right. Fuck just, that moose. Just a hint of moose. Just a little touch of moose. Touch of the tooch, touch of moose. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how we're going to tie it back to last uh, last episode. My last note is also fuck the police. So, hey, we came full circle. Fuck those police. Um, Do you have any fun facts about this film or the making of this film, Nick? They were incredibly inconsistent in keeping things in the correct decade. Throughout the movie, there's stuff like in the opening scene in the airport there's a flat screen tv on the wall yeah halcom's car has 2012 plate registration there's trip advisor stickers on a bunch of windows and stuff around town that's awesome i didn't catch any of that i also didn't pay that much attention yeah i i looked up some of these and kind of got on a roll with it but it's like it's a huge number of problems there's a 2005 pickup just driving down the street those uh crosswalks that have the countdown timer those didn't come into play until 2001 in san francisco 
2001. Interesting. Yeah. Space Odyssey? No, because of 9-11. That would have been a great segue, but we're not there yet. <laughs> no, that's true. Um, we can put it anywhere. So, except That for... is the power that I have. To put it anywhere? Yeah. Peter, your power is incredible. So, except for uh, Cindy Paulson, all the photos they used in the film for the murder board, like the victims, um, all their files, they used the actual photos of the victims. And at the end of the film, they showed them all, said who was found, kind of gave years and information about them and then the last photo is of uh, Vanessa Hudgens and it then it changes over to an actual photo of the real Cindy Paulson so we get to know names of these women and you know the full scope of how awful this human being was yeah which in numbers is 17 known murdered women yeah another 21 suspected murdered people and 31 raped so that's pretty gnarly. It's not, you don't want to eat ribs with this guy. Another fun fact. So, oh wait, I can, I can tie, I can, I can work this narrative thread. Uh, Cusack was tired of, be, of being cast in romantic comedies. So he, he wanted to, you know, do something more fitting for his acting. So he decided to play two serial killers back to back. The other movie that John Cusack did where he played a serial killer was The Paperboy from 2012. Based on the video game? Yes. <laughs> I'm going to just assume yes. Yeah, gotta be. But I mean, no, you killed a lot of people in that game. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, you, you're right. There's there's sort of this era of people trying to reinvent themselves as actors a little bit. And Cusack was tired of being the nice guy, romantic lead, so he picked serial killer. And like Vanessa Hudgens had been, you know, Disney or yeah. whatever it was for forever. And it's like, oh, I'm going to play a sex worker. Well, let's talk. I mean, let's just talk about the performances. They are powerful. I mean, there's some pretty good ones. Yeah, they're good. I mean... Cusack did a great job. Cusack did a good job. Cage was very... I mean, it was a good performance. It was, you know, subdued. Very but it sub- wasn't, like, uh, underperformed or anything No, like it was that. a very good performance. And actually, this will lead me to my very long extended quote for this episode. You go ahead and do that. I assume you don't have one for this one. I disagree. Let's see what oh, you've got. All right. So this is actually... I'm going to pull a... Uh, I'm going to pull, uh, what the hell is that? Do that on your own time. (laughs) What was the worst movie that we've watched so far? Left Left Behind. Behind. I'm going to pull a Left Behind. I'm going to take a quote from an interview he did for this movie. It's a bit long, so, uh, but he was asked about how he, at this point, was really known for just being in fantastical action films or, like, dumbass movies. And his response was, "I I like fantasy movies. I like kind of charming horror films. Not slashers, but charming horror films. Because there's a way of exciting the audience with a violence that's benign. It's, it's a skull shooting fire, or it's, or it's a magician shooting something out of a wand, or whatever. It's a ring, you know? That's, that's still a safe zone. It's not promoting violence. But when you deal with something that really happened, that hurt people, the families, and you know, there I wanted to approach it more docudrama style and more cinema verte, and photorealist acting. Because also, I'd done a lot of larger-than-life kind of abstract performances by design. And I wanted to remind people that I could also do this. Okay, so I have a theory on this. It's right around this time that he was going through his financial troubles, right? Like, that was 2011, 2010, something like that. And there's like a run of movies that I'm like, really? He didn't have to flex all that much on these, and it seems like... They are just, you couldn't have 
waited Just for like one fucking, fucking second. <laughs> I I tried to I I was like I should stop and then it was too late. Yeah, the damage was done. But the like, okay, was in your head, and you're just like, I should stop, but I don't have to. I was trying to have moose talk, and you guys fucking cut no that moose off. talk. All right, so you were saying. So I, I just think it's interesting. It's like, there, in I'd love to actually pick his brain about this. What was the motivation for some of these movies? Was it to get yourself out of the hole? Was it to satisfy some creative aspect of your life? Because, I mean, here are the ones that came around this time: Joe, Rage. Outcast starring Hayden Christensen and fucking Left Behind. Those are like his movies yeah. in this window. Well, and in this film, he was originally offered the role of John Hansen and turned it down. He didn't want to do that. He was more interested in playing the detective and he thought that was a much more interesting story and actually got to interview the actual detective and meet him before performing this role and promised the guy that he was, you know, going to make him look good and he also talked in an interview i watched about this how he likes playing cops all right nick did you have a quote for this one i did but actually it was the same one that sean had so he took my quote wow that was a really long quote yeah i guess we're even i think the only other thing i had to say on this is that it was a a really fast filming it was just 26 days which you know back before 2001 it was like 90 plus days to make a movie It was and, really fast filming, sorry, but yeah. it, the director actually timed it so that it would hit during the changing of the season, and it was filmed like semi-chronologically, so that way, at the end, he wanted the, the feeling of like the weather closing in on the story and bringing more tension that way. He actually postponed the movie five months to do that. Yeah. That's cool. This movie was made on an estimated $27 million budget. And made five million six hundred seventeen. Yeah, not uh, not good. And ooh, all right, that brings us now that that's uh, now that that uncomfortableness is out of the way. Let's talk about our second film, which I'm sure will raise the spirits of this podcast. Oh wait, it's World Trade Center. More government-funded lies. <laughs> Starting strong, boys. Starting right. strong. So uh, this propaganda movie was brought to you <laughs> i actually do want to talk about this um but we will talk about propaganda or talk about 9-11 propaganda talk about this movie as propaganda yeah 9-11 Ooh, yeah. was done on a fucking soundstage in la everybody knows that same Ooh. same as the moon Wait, landing i actually do want to talk about that as well god you're you're <laughs> fucking you're on it today sweet all right uh you know we're gonna talk about this first what i found interesting about this and here was one of my fun facts is the city would not allow them to use ground zero would not allow them to film anything there they were only allowed to film one scene of cops driving to ground zero for the film and anything shot in new york the actors weren't even allowed to look up in the direction of where the towers would be there was the city would not allow for any depictions of this happening so they had to be real creative with it and i was remember thinking when watching this i'm like this movie does a really good job of not like depicting this horrible event and it's not about that and it turns out that the city was just like no we don't fucking ever want to see this again don't put this in your movie so this film was all shot in la all shots at ground zero are done in la because the city would not allow them to depict that in new york well they also already had the set from five years prior when they filmed it the first time (laughs) 
and we're canceled. All right, yeah, let's now, go get dinner. Now it's a conspiracy <laughs> podcast. I'm just trying to get in on some of that Q money, man. I'm going to complain until that first check shows up. <laughs> then I'm like, all right. <laughs> um, but no, I just, I thought that was interesting. Real quickly, this film is... Yeah, give us the summary. <laughs> I was gonna say... I'll tell you, it's 9-11. Yeah, I was going to say like, oh, how do I approach this? Because it is 9-11 and it's, you know, that. But it's based on the true story of two Port Authority cops who were, they weren't in the towers. They were in Building 5. So something in the attached area beneath yeah tower two yeah and um when one of the towers came down the floor came out under them they were crushed under a bunch of debris and they survived uh but it's them being trapped while waiting for rescue juxtaposed with their families who are trying to get information and waiting to see what happens and it's a day i think it's what 12 to 20 hours of time this film jumps around a lot especially at the end when they finally do get rescued it's like the uh, all is lost moment and then five minutes later they're getting like dug out and not in a oh we're found it's you know the all is lost moment someone finds them it's like okay call somebody and then all of a sudden there's like everybody's there yeah i think this movie struggled with pacing a lot Mm -hmm. in the times when they're not underneath rocks like in the uh, act one i mean it, the movie starts basically day like, in the life of I a mean, cop the fucking thing happens at like nine in the morning yeah so it's like a couple hours into his day planes are hitting buildings supposedly and uh Fuck, Nick. then like it's kind of it's kind of like really quick and everything's just kind of happening. You don't know really who anybody is. Like Michael Pena, uh, who plays uh, Jimeno, is a rookie. Okay, there's some kind of rapport that he yeah. has with people, but you don't really get to know anything about him. So just real except quick, except he has nice boxers. Yeah. So real quick, Nick Cage plays uh, John uh, McLaughlin, who was also at the World Trade Center for the '93 car bombing. And Michael Pena plays Will Jimeno. Maria Bello plays Donna McLaughlin, uh, John McLaughlin's wife. Maggie Gyllenhaal is Allison Jimeno, the pregnant wife of Michael Pena's character. And then Michael Shannon shows up later for reasons. And John Bernthal's in it, too. As Dave Carnes. Uh, yeah, well, okay, we'll go there. There's no. a lot of people in this film at the beginning. Also, I mean, when this was filmed, I don't think John Bernthal was... He wasn't the yet. Punisher yet, no. Or Shane from Walking Dead. But either way, I'm like, oh, John Berenthal's in here. Wait, no, he's not. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's in two scenes. He's introduced as working. He's introduced and he's killed. Yeah, he's introduced. It's, it's the pacing all over again. It's yeah. like, like everything's happening really fast. Then it happens. And everything happens really fucking slow. And then everything just resolves. Yeah, so he's like, he's working down in the buildings when it goes down or in the complex when it goes down and then but he used to work at the port authority with these guys so he's like guys let me come with you and then it all comes down and he's dead I'm like that was a weird use of screen time mm-hmm. i mean i get i again this is based on real people which i understand but at the same time conservation of story yeah i mean it shouldn't surprise you that credited writers on this are John McLaughlin John McLaughlin and his, and wife. his wife and I'm assuming 
the person who actually kind of tried to clean it all up and yes. make it a screenplay. Yeah. No. So I, it, it's yeah. not written by somebody who is, I don't know, educated in screenplay writing. Speaking of slowing things down unnecessarily, whenever, when the buildings come down in that scene, all I can think of is why has this been slowed to 12 frames a second? I don't know. It's kind of weird. Um, Cause I thought that this movie had pretty effective practical effects i did too and then they do weird things like that kind of camera work and stuff like that it's like it's not necessary like unless they wanted to like i mean you're dropping foam blocks and saying they're concrete and they don't fall the same way so maybe they wanted to speed it up just to like make it more chaotic okay but about the time this movie would have been made the jackass movie would have been made and they do the same thing and it looks good but they don't slow it down. Wait, they, they, they did 9 11? They took down the towers? <laughs> yes. I, I was and talking. Here about, I thought it was. No, we're getting into it. It was Johnny Knoxville. God don't don't put that in the podcast. Don't sue us, Johnny Knoxville. We love you. I do, I do generally enjoy Jackass. Their opening scenes has like concrete blocks and stuff being like blown up. Yeah. And it's just foam. And I'm sure this movie could have had a bigger budget than the first Jackass. That's interesting. Look that up. The estimated budget of 65 million Jackass. Five million dollars. Okay. So they could have only gotten Nick Cage for Jackass 1. True. And no one else. That would have been great. Do you think Nick Cage took a reduced budget or a reduced payout on this because for half the movie you only see his face? I mean, just in terms of an acting gig, how awesome would that be to just spend six hours in makeup and then just lay on your side? I will say, I think it would be terrible because his mouth is so fucking dry. Yeah, it's gross. Like, there's no shine on his teeth. It's just grit and dirt inside of everything. This movie made me real thirsty, though. It is a very dry movie. Yeah. <laughs> heart, heart, heart. I did like, just visually, as the movie goes on... Then like, I want to talk about chemtrails. <laughs> as they're under there more and more... Turning our frogs gay. The the makeup gets more extreme. Like, the bruising gets more extreme. Like, there was attention to detail there that, as a visual person, I appreciated. No, the makeup effects were great. Yeah. I actually think it was filmed really well, too. I mean, other than some of the, the antic-y crap that you're talking about with yeah. the frame rate. Like, I thought it was lit well and good cinematography. Antic-y. Antic-y? Antic-y. Yeah, oh, I did say an antic-y. <laughs> yeah. It's not really a word, but No. Ant- but no, because even, like, the last scene of this film is... So, one of the running stories in this is michael pena his wife's having a daughter they couldn't decide what to name it and at the end of the film this goes back to antique crap like when they're having the picnic for the survivors he calls out to his daughter because they finally got a name for her and it slows down to that 12 frame a second frame rate and it's dumb i watched this on 9 11 which was not planned it was just like oh wait we're recording and i still need to watch world trade center did you guys give a shit about any of the side plot with the families no no like i feel like this actually could have been a better like a bottle episode kind yeah. of a, a style where it's just the two of them just having to try and stay awake nine, share stories yeah. about their families like and who cares 90 about movie. the actual actors but, well one them. of the then like, you can justify mclaughlin's or mclaughlin's wife co-writing it mm, good point and she needed to get her money too because everybody is looking to get paid out for this 9-11 cover-up. You're just muting Nick now, right? I probably should, but no. No. This film doesn't, as a film, care about any of the additional side bullshit. Because in the 11th hour of this film, like in the third act, 
they decide to just throw out there that John and his wife are having marital problems. It's kind of implied from the get-go I mean, you when see, he gets up to go to work. You see her just kind of give a look and then... Doesn't say goodbye or anything when he goes you know, to it's work. it's four in the morning. She's asleep. I get up at 3.30 every morning and I wake Josie's ass up. And Jump say, on the bed. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, it's Saturday! Well, we can put this in the column of uh, Terrible Children because his son, JJ, is a fucking shithead. Like, I get the kids, like, worried about his dad, but at the same time, like, we need to go down there. And literally everyone in the family's like, that's not how it works. You can't do that. It would just be difficult. Stop it. And he's just like, you don't love dad anymore. And, like, runs out and is just a shitty kid. Yeah. I mean, he's, like, 10. The actor's definitely not, but the the character was 10. So, uh... So you know he's shitty. Yeah. I mean, what do you think about uh, Michael Pena and Nick Cage just vibing off each other i think you'd be hard pressed not to have a good a rapport with like, yeah yeah i think he's just way too charismatic on stage and probably off or screen on yeah. screen well probably on stage too on stage or on screen michael pena gets my three thumbs up yeah Ooh, and they're also there with the body of uh dominic pizzullo played by jay hernandez yep. this whole time <laughs> he's another character who's introduced to immediately be killed do you think they just put like a mannequin, like half a mannequin up there that looked like him? And... I hope so. Well, I mean, most of the shots we get of Pena and Cage, once it's just them, it's usually just a yeah. one sh- one angle. Tight on their face. Yeah. Because you could probably only see them from one angle. One thing I found shocking, and Nick, you'll have a witty retort to this, I'm sure, is just... The audience disagrees. How little people, like, at Ground Zero at the time, how little people knew. Like, they were debating whether or not there was a second plane, like, while driving over there. Yeah. Well, I mean, it wasn't like hardcore internet age. People didn't have it in their pockets. Information didn't move as fast. And people weren't able to, like, live stream it as it happened. Things like that. That's fair. I mean, I was also on the West Coast when it happened. I woke up to it. So it's not like... Just but being there and they're debating whether or not the second building had been hit or if that was just a smoke cloud from the first building i just thought that was interesting and something i've never considered because mm-hmm. i've never had to consider being at an event like that because it's terrifying yeah cool we're gonna draw the line there yeah shitty things like that i mean not not necessarily <laughs> manufactured to that scale but shitty things do yeah. happen uh around my life like i mean things get dropped off of cranes and stuff on construction sites not like every day or anything but you hear about it. I mean, just a couple of years ago in Seattle, we had a crane drop up on Mercer uh, off of a Google building, and it fucking fucked shit up, killed a guy. Hmm. Uh, I do want to talk about how Jesus is an Aquafina man. Jesus shows up with a bottle of water. Well, in Pizzullo's mind. Not Pizzullo. I know. I, I, can't, I can't say that he isn't. I mean, I feel like he probably would have shown up with that in Army of One. I'm not going to lie. I don't think that was Jesus. Because I didn't see Russell Brand in the credits anywhere. <laughs> a very good point. All right, we got where I wanted with that bit. Um, but speaking of credits, so Michael Shannon, first of all, like every time I see him, I just think he, that he's like a melted Michael C. Hall. <laughs> what, what do you guys think of him? Oh, he would play a great serial killer. <laughs> I don't know who Michael Shannon is. He is the Marine, and there's a guy who comes up, and he's like, Hey, you got a name, Marine? And he goes, Staff Sergeant Carnes. He's like, got something a little shorter? Staff Sergeant. Michael Shannon plays Staff Sergeant Dave Carnes, who 
heard of them and was the one who was like who found them or found where they were so did get them saved so i understand why he's a part of this movie but at the same time he's just there to be there he's got that dumb line where it's like don't you understand we're at war now yeah oh, oh yeah god fucking get over it honestly it tracks with every interaction i've ever had with a marine this is this is clearly a different time and the world uh, i do like how allison's dad is very concerned about her losing the baby but is not concerned at all with smoking like a fucking chimney in the house yeah i mean i Which i talked jo- about this with josie uh when we were watching it because she had the same statement and i was like they hadn't even banned it in like smoking in yeah. bars and no, restaurants at this and point it's, like, it's just it's hindsight yeah hindsight great yeah i don't know you got any Fun facts for this 9-11 movie, Nick? Sorry, I, that's, a, that's a loaded question. I should not have asked that. Yeah, facts in a uh, pretty heavy marks. quote. Uh, Tell no. me about lizard people. So in uh, the summer before my junior year of high school, whatever that was, graduated in 03. Help me out in the math. Drop it down in the comments later. How old am I? What, what am I doing here? I went to New York with a, a fact-finding group just to try to figure all this out. <laughs> get the information to the people and uh while we were standing there at this you know supposed site of a tragedy so my tour guide just turns around looks at me he's like want to hear a joke and then he throws up for a high five and then drops his hand real quick and goes who's gay and i'm just sitting there at 9-11 with my hand up after a tour guide is like who's gay true story fucking wild yeah, cut cut that. That needs to be cut. I'm not standing. I mean, it didn't, like, not... it didn't age well, but it is pretty <laughs> accurate for 2001. That's true. <laughs> and it's just outrageous that a New Yorker in New York at night at ground at the zero. Site, yeah, he was probably from Jersey. That's probably true. Fuck Jersey. Yeah, those motherfuckers. Bet they did it. No, <laughs> it was carried out too well, too efficiently. <laughs> Hey, uh, don't plus, don't plus, don't sue us, New Jersey. Oh my God! All right. Um, okay, do, do we got Do you have a quote, Nick? Then yeah. We're gonna, we're gonna wrap this shit up real quick. Yeah, I got I got a quote. Yeah, actually, but before we do quotes, just like, what did you think of his performance in this? Because I know it's really weird. He was sideways the whole time. I didn't like his accent. It was no, it was a little overdone. But was he was super also inconsistent. Yeah, but he was also supposed supposed to be crushed. I don't know. I didn't. I mean, even when he wasn't crushed, it was inconsistent. Michael Pena stole the show. Like, Michael Pena's the star of this film. Like, he's the one who keeps them both motivated, and which will go into my quote. Yeah, he's, he's likable, too. He's likable. And just, yeah, it's just... And Nick Cage's whole performance in this is just like, uh, gotta stay alive, because you die, I die. Well, More I mean, of those pouty, pouty lips. How about that mustache, though? Oh, yeah, cop stash. Cop stash all the way. Good cop stash? Did we, did we talk good cop, bad cop? Uh, not on this one. Good cop, bad cop? Fine cop. He doesn't do much cop work. He gets them saved by telling him to go to the elevator shaft because it's the strongest part of the building. Yeah, that's about all we get from him, but that's not even, like, cop knowledge. That's just, I don't know, engineering knowledge. Yeah, that's just structural knowledge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, what's your quote, Nick? So, this happens over two scenes, but originally, like, uh, Jimeno and McLaughlin are talking about you know their wives and stuff and Nicolas Cage 
is just agreeing with Michael Pena and that like um, Michael Pena is like, oh my wife, she's Italian, she can don't get her mad, she's a wild one, and McLaughlin comes back with Donna can get mad too. She wants a new kitchen. I'm an okay carpenter, so I'm building her a new one. There's no cabinets right now. She's pissed, so I gotta get out of here. I married the right one. So he's like, just like you know, dudes kind of yeah going around talking about how uh, shitty quote unquote their relationships are. It's like oh, don't get her mad. Oh, my my wife, she my, my ball and chain. Yeah, but also you know at the same time being like oh she's a she's a right proper lady. And then uh, in a dream later, he's having a conversation with his wife Donna. And Donna's just like, honey, the kitchen's not even finished yet. She's trying to motivate him to get out of this hole and go back. So she's like, the kitchen's not even finished yet. And he's like, okay, would you get off the kitchen? Is this necessary? I'm stuck. And I like that. Because, you know, that is actually, I think, the best bit of script in this movie, too. Well, that was... Okay, that second one was my first quote. My second one, uh, I went for just copycat, full Nick Cage quote. It's Jimeno and McLaughlin when they're first just starting to talk. They, you know, it's like the second scene of them underground and they're just going back and forth. And Jimeno's like, you're not a big talker, talker, are you? No. Well, gee, you got to give me something, cuz. And John McLaughlin's, ah, 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 I can't, because my knees are crushed again. That's why I can't fucking talk. <laughs> Which was the most cage scene out of both these films. Yeah, I could definitely see, like, a person's patience just being worn thin by somebody just yammering at them. Like, and I know they got to talk to, like, keep themselves occupied and focused. But if, like, you're fucking crushed under all of that concrete and, like, bones are broken, you're bleeding internally, and you know you're dying, and some asshole's just, like, talking to you about space frogs and shit I don't know <laughs> he never talked about space frogs no but oh my god so oh we still have to decide which one of these wins yeah I think we're at that point um, I, don't, I don't really have any other it's not World Trade Center I'm fun just gonna say that <laughs> I don't want to watch this again yeah World Trade Center in my opinion is a bad movie it's not a good it's movie. not good I it's, agree I mean it's not fine to watch people shouldn't watch it no, it's I all mean, a lie, and it's just well, it is. It's it's big American propaganda, and it's a big rah rah. Let's all go to war, huzzah! Like the weirdest, you know, but I will say the weirdest part of this film for me is when it cuts to the rest of the world watching this, and everyone's like, <gasps> America, and everyone's like freaking out, and you see like every other country, and it's like old news footage from everything else, including this one scene they have in Japan where they're wa- <laughs> where Japan's watching it live. It would have been nighttime in Japan, and the footage they showed was during the day, so it wasn't oh, live. Oh, fuck them. So it is a fucking lie. Yeah, it's all a conspiracy. It's. I hesitate to say it's a conspiracy. It's a fucking cover-up, though. What was in those buildings that the government didn't want us to see? I bet it was Hunter Biden's laptop. <laughs> all right, that joke got there. Uh, so, yes, that was World Trade Center and the Frozen Ground. The Frozen Ground goes forward. It had better acting, had a more compelling script it's a more watchable movie. it's a more watchable movie um so yeah next week we've got the <laughs> a last, palate cleanser <laughs> the last of our eight and nine seeds national treasure book of secrets against the sorcerer's apprentice and also we will have our first guest on the podcast so 
good, good, good. Yeah. I mean, are we gonna are we gonna broadcast that uh, beforehand? If he doesn't show, we just rag on him for five minutes. Yeah, we make fun of that and then we move on. Okay, you hear Perfect. that? Perfect. You hear that? If you don't come on our show, we're gonna make fun of you. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta come. Goodbye. On, good night, yeah. everybody. Yeah. So, uh, please, God, <laughs> thank you for making it through this episode. Like, share, and subscribe. Yeah. Um, tell your friends we need some word of mouth. Uh, I mean, we're not desperate or anything, but we'd like word of mouth. Tell me what theories you've got down in the comments. In the comments, I hear, tell Nick. Yeah. And someday, actually, somebody drop down in the comments and tell me where to find the comments, because I don't know where I'm looking. That seems like a conspiracy in and of itself. Yeah. Are people talking about this? Huh. Who fucking knows? All songs are weirdly horny if you, you know you no. listen to them the right way. I think in particular this Dave one. I mean, all Dave songs are super horny. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's probably just true. Keeps going with the I'll come into you. Yeah, and it's like, it's like, yeah. oh, okay, are a little we, heavy-handed. Are there, those but... the actual lines? Yeah. yeah. Dear God, it's crash into me and I'll come into you. I thought that was about the time into he like you. let all his poop out in the uh, on Chicago? that yacht. Yeah. yeah. No. God, what a classic classic dmb move